Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Localization Podcast. My name is Andrei Zito and this is episode number 47. My guest this time is Ahmed El Miligi from Words Language Solutions. But Ahmed is also a very famous person within the Egyptian localization community. In his career, Ahmed wore many different hats. But for this episode, we decided to focus on his most interesting topic, most favorite one, and that is vendor management. So we will talk about vendor strategy, quality, pricing, how to find vendors, what to look for them, freelancers versus agencies, and how to monitor and develop vendors. So quite a lot of stuff about topic that we haven't covered yet on this podcast. And that's why I was even very happy that this was Ahmed's, let's say, favorite role that he had been doing in his career, because obviously I wanted to cover something new that I haven't talked about with anyone before. Now, before we get into everything about vendor management and vendor strategy, let me do my usual routine. And that is to thank everyone who has joined the LinkedIn page for the localization podcast, which recently I have sort of moved under localization academy as a showcase page. Anyway, here are the recent new followers, Uchiana Messina, Anna Hagan, Anna Issa Silva, Ilaria Betela, Stergios Damakudis, Osama Eisa, M. Localize, Muhammad Haikal Abdullah Bin, Yulia Zavoronkova, Dragan Antonievich, Fatli Muhammad, Amani El Nagar, Florencia Sofia Parunov, Nektaria Paraspiropulo, Pola Balserio, Daria Busson, Bayan Bayan A. Sara, Jose Augusto Silva, Maria Grazia Raiti, Roshan Hassan, Anna Garcinska, Hager El Batawi, Mahmoud Adel, Engi Engi Rostan, Federica Gufrida Gufrida, Mohamed Farkali, Jonas Pospichal, the easiest name out of all, and finally we have Satomi Shimitsu. Thank you everyone for joining our little podcast. I know that I'm releasing this podcast almost whenever. It's not even every month a new episode, but at least hopefully you're getting a lot of nice short clips here on our LinkedIn page. And I think I'm talking too long. So let's get right into episode number 47 with Ahmed El Miligi. Ahmed, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andre. I'm very happy to uh, be with you. Where, where are you joining us from? I am uh, right now I'm in Cairo. Is that your hometown? Uh, yes, Cairo is my hometown. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is it that you do in Egypt? A lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is actually localization. So <laughs> you do other things outside of localization? I'm running a small um, uh, translation and localization agency. Also um one of the board members of the Egyptian Association for Globalization and Language Solutions. 
that mm-hmm. we call eagles. I'm doing some uh, consultancy and training for individuals and uh, companies in Egypt and um, in the Middle East. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe for starters, can you let us know how you got into localization? What was your first touch with localization? Well, it was a very, very, very long time ago. I was young. I was like fond of translation and uh, writing. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was even before the college years. We were, me and a couple of my friends, we were interested in translation. And it's kind, it was kind of a hobby, you know, to bring some novels and uh, maybe lyrics from uh, songs and stuff like that. So we like, we like reading all the time. Actually, during the college, I was kind of a freelancer translating with uh, some of my friends. And I think I used to receive some kind of a nice feedback about translation style and writing style. So after the college, uh, I joined the army uh, for some time and I joined some different jobs in IT and sales and marketing. One of my friends actually sent my CV to a localization agency. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know about it or was it a surprise? Perhaps that friend thought, hey, you were doing some translation and you like writing and stuff. Maybe this will be nice. And I received the phone call. This is when I got involved in uh, localization in a a Mm -hmm. formal uh, manner. So you got a job just like that with, let's say, did you have any education? Yeah, I studied actually languages. Oh, okay. I was a student of languages. I uh, studied the Greek and uh, Latin. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So um, during my college uh, years, I, uh, I was very much into languages. Basically, the, we were studying Italian, but I hardly mm-hmm. remember, although I uh, really liked it. And the English, of course, we were using English as a medium language to for translation and uh, writing some paper and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and of course Arabic because I'm uh, Arabic is my native language. But you could be a native Arabic, but you do not really master the language. But I really like to explore more into the classic Arabic and uh, poetry and writing and novels and stuff like this maybe this helped a lot in shaping how i write and how i translate right but i cannot say that i had any experience with localization before i joined a a professional agency right that's what that's what i wanted to ask like how was the what was the difference between because from what you're saying like it was like your hobby you know translating novels and poetry that sounds very you know like noble and then you hit the reality of the job, which maybe you don't get to translate anything so interesting as novels and poetry. So how do you remember your first days with, with the localization agency? It was very nice because I was like, I received a couple of offers. One of them is to be like a junior coordinator, a small project manager. Mm-hmm. And 
the other one is to join the vendor management. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I remember, remember it was like the very first unit, the very first department in a, any localization agency in Egypt or in the Middle East. There was nothing like this before because I think before this, the project managers used to deal on their own, find the translators in a like a random random manner, and this was the very first uh, department who started to do the vendor management on a in a professional manner. Mm-hmm. And before this, I did not have any idea. But when I was receiving this offer, I really liked it. I I, I felt like like I really need to be in this department, not the other one. Because I remember my interviewer told me, in this vendor management, you will get to recruit and you will get to screen CVs and you will get to find translators and suppliers from different countries Mm -hmm. and in different languages. And in this project coordination thing, you will have to deliver the files and uh, receive the files and send the files to the team and run some kind of operation. I did not really much, you know, I was young, I did not really much imagine, but I really liked this idea of recruiting. And, you know, <laughs> so I said, all right, let's, let's see it. And uh, I remember my very first week. But it w- because it was the hardest. Mm. They give me an assignment like a second day. One of, some of my friends uh, or, or, or former colleagues, they taught me how to like uh, see the, the system, uh, read the emails, send the proposals, perhaps post on different uh, portals like pros.com. And there was back in the day, there was something called, uh, I think, Go Translators or some.com back in the day. And they taught me some basics and they said, go on on your own. You have a request. There was a request, I remember, in my very first week to recruit, I think, something like 20 translators from 20 countries or 20 languages. And I was, all right, let's do it. Ah, <laughs> in China today, okay, let's be in Germany. Let's go to um uh, Afghanistan. Let's mm-hmm. let's find people in in in, in Syria, <laughs> and it was very interesting for me. And it was I didn't like you know to go home because I really felt excited that I I'm going to communicate with all these people and hire them and get them to work with us. It was very excited, and it's still. Did you figure out on your own how to find the right people? Of course not, uh, no. because I had I had some very good uh, mentorship in this time. I have to admit that they like helped me all the way to, yes, you can do this. In order to do this, you have to do that. You know, because it was like a new department, we did not have that much of a documentation or perhaps training. We were actually trained by trying and exploring. Mm -hmm. So who do you remember being your mentor? Was it someone from the project management? Because you mentioned that the project managers used to do this on their own, or was it someone like operations Uh, manager? I remember actually my direct supervisor was a former project manager, I think. Mm -hmm. It was very helpful. 
And a couple of my colleagues in the same department, one of them was a translator. So I learned a lot from his mindset being a translator. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a, in, in the localization industry for maybe a few years. Mm -hmm. And he had his input and he had his understanding of things. So mm -hmm. he gave me a lot of uh, help. And I remember the... I remember we had also some mentorship from the top management in the, in the company. They were very much involved because they created this department and they wanted this idea to uh, succeed. So there was not much of a, I, I, I cannot say that it was only one mentor, but I had many, many men and I was open for life. And I, I had, yes, okay, anyone, anybody can be my mentor. Right, right, right. So to this day, you still, when we had our intro call, you still mentioned that vendor management is like your specialization, I would say. Like you can do many things. You have experience from many things, but you prefer vendor management, right? Yeah, yeah. I still prefer vendor management and I, it's kind of a passion. I speak about it all the time. I, mm -hmm. I still try to find ways to develop the skills and maybe teach someone else. Uh, although I understand that, uh, although I, I've been involved in other functions and I, I cannot uh, say less about them. Uh, for example, like I, I really also enjoy project management, but I understand that the, this part about humans, this part, this part about, about human resources is very important because this industry, in my opinion, is all about the people. Mm -hmm. not just only about the technology or the technical part, but it's all about the people. Mm -hmm. So how has your, I don't know, approach to vendor management changed over the years? Well, is there some... this is very, uh, this is also a very nice question. During my very, very first days in the vendor management department, I asked my direct supervisor and he's a friend and um, i asked him a question what do you think is going to happen tomorrow how about the career i was like curious and there is a very big difference between being curious and being confused because yeah in these days a lot of young people are confused but i was asking yeah perhaps you agree that's why you <laughs> Too much social media. Yeah, too to much social that. media to be confused about. But I was asking because everything was new to me, and I asked him this question: What do you think about the next step? In some cases, the interviewer or maybe your boss will give you some, you know, like bullshit words, and he will say the future is bright and uh, we are growing and all the, we have this right. yeah, we have this all in our culture a lot we're like partners you are the, and stuff like no he did not actually his answer was to me was is like is it, it's my type of answer he said i don't know right right you have to make your way and right. i trust you will do and i said okay this answer i like this answer if he would answer uh, maybe if uh, he would have answered me uh, something else, it's like, oh, the company is growing and we are going to heaven and uh, stuff like this. I, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't believe. <laughs> right. 
but I'd like to add something. Sorry to interrupt you. In this department, we tried a lot of methodologies. Mm-hmm. And one of the nicest things they did, they kept us very, very close with the project managers. We were actually on CC. Whenever we do this hiring and, and, and placement and um, uh, recruiting, we were involved with the project managers like his shadow. And this is what I really liked about, about the job. And also, I really enjoyed learning from the project managers. And later on in my career, I discovered that it's not the same thing in every vendor management department. Sometimes they are separate. Mm-hmm. Bring us, uh, you have a recruitment target to do, and right. um, like we need this number of resources, this number of translators. And thank you so much. We don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what we did not do. And I think this helped a lot in learning what it is to be involved in, you know, finding a job to someone and helping him to do the job right, the right way. At what point did you start thinking about some sort of strategy? <laughs> because I'm kind of a myself, I am. I, I really like to take initiative, perhaps give some ideas and and stuff like this. And that I usually I used to uh, go into conversation with my superiors, mm-hmm. introducing some ideas. We can do that. We can do this. They were, they, they were actually open for ideas about the vendor management because, as I said, it was a new department and they needed some kind of, you know, a flexible team to be able to give some ideas and exchange ideas. One of, one of the things uh, I remember introducing full-time recruitment and why can't we do it? And I remember also that the agency I used to work in, they were actually expanding and they were trying to open for new services and in different countries. This actually helped a lot because I used to sit with them in meetings, although I was like a young VM. And mm-hmm. I used to give some ideas along with the reporting system and how many translators do we have in this language and, and stuff like that. I think this helped a lot in creating some kind of strategy, mm-hmm. understanding the, the needs of our clients in this time. And mm-hmm. in my case, my clients actually were the BMs or perhaps the business development or the marketing and sales team. So I learned right. a lot from it, being very close with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like an evolution to get into something which we would call strategy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, it opened my my mind to a lot of things about how a localization agency can be established, how can we kick kick off new services, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was something big, not just because I was young and ambitious, but it was something big even for our culture or maybe in our country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you were to, I don't know, join a company right now, 
and you would be the vendor manager. So I assume that you would start with a strategy right now instead of yeah. just being told who to recruit to. So what is actually, what do, what do you consider part of the vendor strategy? Like, does it have any key points that you need to cover and answer it? Yeah. When it comes to a vendor management strategy, from my understanding and experience, it has to be aligned with the, the company's vision. Right. And the company's actually financial targets, the company's technical objectives, the language that they would like actually to cover, the regions that they would like to operate in. This is what mm-hmm. uh, this is the key characteristics from my understanding about vendor management strategy. Why I say this because back in the day, one of the strategies that we used to do is that every part, everyone in the in the team were actually in charge of a certain region. I was quite lucky because they asked me, "What do you think? What do, what do you think you like?" I, I have a thing for Southeast Asia. I love the Orient. I love, I love India and China and uh, Thailand and Vietnam. Although I've never been to these countries, but it's like, a, let me try. I see a lot of, you know, like the project managers are requesting some like Chinese and Vietnamese language, language. And let me try in this. And then mm-hmm. someone else in the department was in charge of African languages. At the very beginning, we was like, it, the, the department is uh, providing all the languages mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we can lay a hand on. And I joined sometime later in recruiting translators in East European uh, languages. Mm-hmm. So I understand how to build the strategy for each region how the prices are going, how the rates are going, how the translators are. There is some kind of, um, I can say it's some kind of magic for each region. It has its own, what do you say? I'm not able to explain how it is, but it's like... Nuances or flavors or... Yeah, it's like every region had its own, you know, mood. (laughs) Vibe. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a vibe thing. Yeah, yeah. I hope I was able to answer th- this question very quickly because uh, you told me you don't need to uh, use a, a presentation. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so this is where I'm interested in. So how does the strategy, strategy for, let's say, Eastern Europe differ from strategy for Southeast Asia? First thing, it depends on the accounts. It has a lot to do with the the sales part or mm-hmm. the marketing part, the accounts, mm-hmm. localization accounts that we were supposed to manage. Mm-hmm. This thing affects a lot when you are selecting translators. And I remember the very first days, maybe for me, that I was recruiting for localization projects. I remember reading because, I, as I told you, we were very much involved with the project managers we kind of they kind of let us read the instructions and uh, be with the with the production team mm-hmm. this helped me very much to understand if some if google asked for this 
So this is kind of a strategy in my in 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 vendor management. If Google is asking for this kind of job description or kind of specification in a person who will join the team. So this is their understanding on how they would like to do things. I think this answered the question. And in, in some time, in some countries, for example, in Southeast Asia, back in the day, it was very easy to find a, a variety of translators, for example, in China, because the numbers are huge. Mm-hmm. You can try the same thing in a different country and it's not going to be very easy. And perhaps I remember when we spoke first time about Malaysia, because this is where I, I, I lived for some time and I actually worked in, uh, in one of the LSPs in Malaysia. I remember back in the day, there was not much of a localization agency in Malaysia, perhaps like 15 years ago or something. Localization back in the day was mainly produced by teams of freelancers. They did not have this kind of a organized localization mm-hmm. agency. And I think this was a development in, in the market was like natural. It starts with people who are learning things or on their own. And then they develop to be in an organized shape, in, a, in an agency shape of uh, some kind. Mm-hmm. And this also was very, very, very interesting because when we were about to establish this uh, startup back in the day, we can say a startup like 15 years ago, we were talking about the vendor management strategy, but it was not really the strategy about vendor management. It was like the recruitment strategy, the whole thing about recruiting the whole team, including project managers, including um, translators, coordinators, uh, maybe DTB. As I remember, we discussed during one of the meetings and we said, ah, in Malaysia, I don't think they have a localization agency, but maybe they have some kind of local translation shops, small offices. They do some kind of local um, demand for typical translation, like legal documents and stuff like that. But localization is mainly done by maybe freelancers. And this is a very good opportunity. And this is a, it's like a blue ocean thing. So when we, travel to Southeast Asia, it was the same as we expected. And if you would ask me, how do you learn, how did you learn this? We, we did not have that much, act, you know, like marketing research agency to help us with reports and stuff. We learned this from actually from vendor management. We understood, we understood this from being in, in communication with Malaysian translators by this time. There was not much of a company that we can say that this is a localization company. There were mm-hmm. maybe, as I said, uh, government offices or government, government companies, but there was not that much of a localization agency. And in 2019, I've been maybe to the latest or uh, the one before the latest 
uh, Lock World Conference. It was the very first one, Lock World, to be uh, organized in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And this proves to me a lot of progress that the market is mm-hmm. making. You go to Malaysia, that's why you understand how important that Malaysia is like a growing economy and there is a chance that companies will come and the translators will come and people will join the and it was it was very nice mm-hmm. one of the things that you mentioned earlier when it comes to strategy that it's related to the financial objectives of mm-hmm. the LSP so this to me is the tricky part because of course the company always wants to find the cheapest freelancers but at the same time they want the highest quality So mm-hmm. how do you how do you balance these two? I would say sometimes maybe even contradictive objectives of finding someone who's cheaper or within the margins, but mm-hmm. at the same time be able to do good quality work. Well, yeah, it is a challenge, and it's still it is a challenge actually to balance between the quality and the price. And I mm-hmm. remember times where prices actually were higher than now <laughs> because of many things uh, like introducing machine translation and right. maybe introducing more translators are being produced actually from <laughs> the factory of life. <laughs> and, but um, yeah, financial targets, I seem to think they affect because every every year a company will sit down and discuss how they would like to like increase revenues and reduce the cost mm-hmm. so there are actually means to reduce the cost affecting the translators like introducing technology like software quality control software using translation uh, management system these are the things that maybe will reduce the cost can reduce the cost and i in my opinion we have to think about this stuff before thinking about negotiating the prices with translators But unfortunately, I lived through the time where the financial crisis in 2008, it was a time that even translators themselves, they were actually offering a lot of discounts so they get a lot of work, they get more mm-hmm. work. They were actually affected. So I, th- I still believe that financial uh, targets or maybe objectives for any company affect the, their vendor management strategy. This is one thing. The other thing that perhaps you would agree with me, and you've been a project manager, you've seen it all, that some companies, of course, they prefer, all right, we are not going to outsource to LSPs or regional uh, language vendors. We are going to go directly to the freelancers and try as much as we can to reduce the cost and remove the middleman and, and stuff like this. So, yeah, financial financial objectives they do affect the vendor management strategy big time and they still do have you ever been in a situation where the requirements for a price for a certain account was very low that you just couldn't find anyone with a let's say good quality yeah we had a lot of fights with the project managers <laughs> so, so, so how, how do you get out of that situation we negotiate in, in the ups and downs we negotiate mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. and this is one of the options the other option is to try to find new new blood mm-hmm. 
And sometimes you have to take this decision. It's like, you know, I cannot work with generals all the time. I'm going, I'm going to need privates and right. young, young, yeah. Soldiers. <laughs> young soldiers. Yeah. I was actually uh, um, reading uh, 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 something about the guy who expanded the McDonald's uh, red mm-hmm. crop. Perhaps mm-hmm. you heard about him. Yes. And one of the things, the strategy that he introduced, or maybe not him, it was the brothers McDonald's, I, I believe, that we do not br- need to bring a professional experience uh, cook, but our system is going to be very easy, very efficient, that we do not need a cook. We, don't, we just need a, some young men, they right. are going to do stuff like this. I cannot say that it's the same in translation, but we had to do it. And mm-hmm. I was lucky to be in a team who invested a lot of time in training, mm-hmm. trying to develop a young generation of translators or maybe service providers. Mm-hmm. This was one of the things that kept them very strong because it's all right. We can, we can manage. We will do extra work. We will train young inexper- or maybe inexperienced translators or uh, DTB uh, specialists. And we are going to create new soldiers one day they are going to be the generals. Right, right. Makes sense. When we speak about strategies, like I like um, war examples. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe going to the war examples, would you raise the salaries of the soldiers once they reach the general level? Yeah. Like how, and, and to put it in, in our words, like... <laughs> my salary first but what i'm trying to what what, what i'm trying to say is that i get the idea that we are here to also give opportunities to to the young blood like Mm -hmm. you mentioned to see if they have the potential and the good thing for the companies is that hopefully the young people are not charging that much as the let's say the the veterans of the Mm -hmm. translation industry but then if I'm doing a good job, would I ever have a chance to increase my rates as a, as a freelancer? What yeah, would be your criteria for saying that, okay, you've been with us for quite some time. We love your work and we are actually going to increase your rates. Has that ever happened? Yeah, it happened. It happened mm-hmm. a lot. Especially that um, <laughs> at, the start of the, at the start of the year, of a new year, you can find this kind of a request to, yeah, inflation. Guys, we need to, uh, my, I would like to discuss my rate and I've been working with you for some time. And um, especially those who are, who are actually work in ongoing projects, mm-hmm. they had this. And I can understand it very clearly because I have been on their side. I've been a freelancer mm-hmm. and I know what it is. Everybody wants to have more. And once again, it's all about the negotiation because sometimes we used to sit down in price review meetings. 
mm-hmm. pricing review meetings and there there are the sales people who would like to please their customers as much as they can and they say we have pressure there is a machine translation is coming the future is and not promising we have targets to achieve and mm-hmm. we sit down and we say we don't want to lose the translators right honestly my own personal belief that i would invest and i would like to keep my translator satisfied and happy as much as i can i have to be logic i am a businessman also i need to have some profit but i prefer that the translators are satisfied because the translator will help me in this project and in this project and another project and the translator is my is my real soldier in a very very big fight with different mm-hmm. i don't need i i don't need to say enemies but with different directions different it will help me with this client if this client is not satisfied we will try to find him another and i think one of the successful parts of a vendor management strategy is to be able to have backups and to have backup mm-hmm. plans so mm-hmm. you will not get stuck at any moment this makes a lot of sense because i've seen it when translators are sending maybe not at the start of the year but he's he's having a situation um something is changing he moved from another country to another and this is this was very 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 a very important thing uh, i remember recruiting translators for example japanese translators who live outside of japan and this is this is um very common that when they live outside of japan their living standards are maybe different from <laughs> how it was in japan if you have any friends in japan they would agree with this So my girlfriend is Japanese. Oh really? Awesome. This is awesome. I hope I'm not bluffing or maybe imagining but I remember that translators maybe who moved from Japan to live in Malaysia where I met a lot of them or they lived in Thailand they were much more flexible about giving lower rates. Yeah. Because it's all about the economy. Right. I seem to believe Yeah, it's it's a pretty common sense. She, she's Japanese. I actually thought some for, for some time that you were originally from Southeast Asia because you have this look, right? Yes. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I am not, but I just recently found out that I'm mixed. So I'm originally from Slovakia, but recently I found out based ah. on a DNA test that uh part of me is <laughs> Asian Chinese. Awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. So going back to the backups that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and you also touched on that before that you sometimes want to have agencies like in Malaysia, but there were no agencies, mm-hmm. so you had to resort to freelancers. Yeah, so back in the day. I think this could technically be considered part of a strategy. So when do you prefer freelancers and when do you prefer agencies? Like what is uh... what is the difference? Well, this is a very a, a very nice question because it's kind of happening a lot these days that some of LSPs the the LSPs maybe the like medium sized LSPs or small LSPs they started to prefer to communicate directly with freelancer or to work directly with freelancer instead of 
outsourcing to an agency. And I understand why technology made it very easy. <laughs> if you have some kind of translation management system, so all the translators are logged on it and they have their profiles and they've sent the request to them, like a mass mail. Mm-hmm. And you get to understand the performance, like when they finish the jobs and they close to smart cat stuff and things like this. And also, they wanted to remove this middleman, I seem to think. But my own understanding that a freelancer is individual. His capacity for production, his ability to solve problems is, with no offense to him, is still limited. That's why an agency, it's a company. So people, they cooperate with each other. I had this discussion with a lot of uh, like Egyptian translators. You see, the companies are, you know, like they suck in our blood and they took the, they control all the market. And uh, we would like to work with the clients directly. And mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. seen this, yeah. So I asked the guy a question and I said, so when you send some files to your translator, to another translator, to one of your friends, aren't you acting like a company? Hmm. And honestly, I've seen this in the past. I can see that in growing localization market, I, I've seen this in Turkey, in Turkish language. Uh, we had incredible freelancers, people with very, very good quality. The rates were because they were young. Back in the day, like 15 years ago, they are not the same person five years later. He's mm-hmm. more experienced. He's stronger. I can see he's a colonel, not really a general, but he's tough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've seen this kind of development in, 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 in a service provider, but still a company, they must have something different to add. Mm-hmm. And in, in my own point of view, when I actually led projects and I led uh, marketing campaigns and vendor management strategy, I do not really mind to work with either of them. I don't really mind to, but my expectations from a language service provider, from an agency are actually higher. Mm -hmm. My expectations from uh, them to solve their own problems. And I prefer to give a helping hand to the individual because I understand I've been there myself. I've been like a a lone wolf working in alone, like a freelancer. I don't Mm -hmm. have anybody to help me if the, I've seen this very clear in a lot of the African languages. Mm -hmm. In some point in time, it was very hard. It was very hard. These people, these people struggled a lot, you know, I remember sometime when they had electricity is cut from them, like after five in some countries, they had the electricity, internet is cut after five. They had some kind of a, like military coup or uh, whatever they have. To, these people, they actually suffered a lot to provide good localization services. And they mm-hmm. deserve a lot of appreciation for their effort. Now, things may be changed. I prefer to be flexible. I prefer mm-hmm. to offer uh, some kind of a, a good proposal for a freelancer that fits his capacity 
And in the same time, I do not really mind to work with another agency. Right. Would there be any scenarios where you would prefer one or the other? Yeah. Yeah. I have to be honest. Sometimes the price, the rates, they control the decision sometimes, but not mm-hmm. all the times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would I would prefer to be with a, an agency because they have their problem or uh, the technical problem. They can take it, take care of volumes, mm-hmm. bigger volumes. They can solve problems. And in some cases, I would prefer to be with freelancers because I would like to communicate with them. And in, in the past few years, we started to have this kind of projects that where the client's want to have direct communication with the translators, especially big tech companies. They started to create their own systems and their mm-hmm. own, perhaps you've seen something like this. And they say, we don't need to send the files to project managers. The right. trans- your translators will have to log on the system. So mm-hmm. they need to communicate directly with the freelancers. They have this type of projects that if you think about it, if you are a translator's, I would love to read the instructions directly. I would love to receive instructions directly. I would love to be guided directly without someone is perhaps copying and pasting someone else's right. uh, document. Right. I seem to agree with this kind of mm-hmm. time management thing. And mm-hmm. if you are going to do some time management, you will have to make some sacrifice. You mean sacrifice on the cost part or? You will have to sacrifice, yeah, on the cost. Mm-hmm. And you will have to sacrifice maybe losing one of the layers in the right. in the chain. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. When is there actually a point for a company, let's say the tech company, to start looking for someone outside of the company to help with the localization? Like when is the point where you would need to get a help of vendor manager to start looking for vendors to help you with outsourcing or in which case is it also still good to try to look for someone in-house in case in which case i think it would be handled by recruitment right yeah uh, if i understand your question clearly what forces a big tech company to hire someone to work in-house right like a localization mm-hmm. uh, Maybe we don't have to talk about the big tech company. Maybe you can also talk about like an LSP, right? Because LSPs also have to outsource, but some of them also have some languages covered in-house by their employees. Yeah. I, I actually wit- witnessed this kind of a strategy and I was at a point of time, a part of a recruitment team mm-hmm. who recruited full-time staff. Mm-hmm. I recruited actually full-time staff in most of the Asian countries and Egypt here, especially the translators. And I seem to think that production and demand controls this decision, or maybe at least this is how we thought about it. Because if I have a certain account that is actually stable or a certain contract that is stable and we have the production Everything is bland. Every translator is going to translate like 2,000 words a day for the period of uh, two years, three years, five years. It depends. I would go for the full-time model 
for to recruit the translators in-house. And I've seen how things are progressing. I've seen accounts that were they started very small. So we had to outsource for to uh, freelancers outside of the companies. And when things are growing, we decide to maybe expand a little or maybe change the strategy for a part-time recruitment. We we started by offering the same translators, the same translators. We we have an opportunity that you can be one of our part-timers or maybe full-time. And I've seen many in many cases back in the day, they used to agree, right, it's a very good opportunity. I can be a full-time translator and I have my salary at the end of the month. And I will have some kind of a, like um, uh, insurance and uh, I'm going to be an employee. I've seen how the financial crisis in 2008 uh, affected this model because some mm-hmm. of the accounts actually were, they were gone. Mm-hmm. And if you are a language service provider, you maybe think once and twice, of how would I keep the people on my payroll? while I don't, ha- I don't have any work for them. Mm-hmm. Very hard decision. And I think this is exactly what happened with the COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many companies started to lay off the translators because we lost our accounts. We, maybe we are not able to afford paying uh, the, sal- the full-time salary anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the, the interesting question for me. How do we actually find good vendors? And what, what are you looking for? Let's say, okay, the price is, of course, a main criteria that maybe serves like the top filter for you. Like if people fall within that certain price, but then if they fall and you have still 10 people and you only need to, I don't know, find one or two, how do you, what, what are you looking for? I, w- I was. I was reading in an MZ book, mm-hmm. the theory of a translation um, company by mm-hmm. Renato. And I really like how they broke down the selection mm-hmm. process. They actually broke it down into numbers. And you had this kind of weight for every category, every selection category. The price is one of them. And it mm-hmm. depends on your on the company's strategy to give the price a higher weight. But it's, mm-hmm. in my opinion, it's not everything. Right. Because it will depend on how I'm, where I'm going to place the translator. Am I going to place him in an account where I have zero profit? I will not, I will not able to, uh, be able to cover other costs. Or I'm going to place him in something that is going to be flexible. But... I seem to think that there are actually other criteria that we should think about, not only the price, the experience, the years of experience. And I'm, um, I, you can find that I use a lot of military examples because I, <laughs> I'm not a military guy, but I admire this idea of ranking and mm-hmm years of experience and even in military you can find a um, chief of staff he has the same ranks but the same ranks with another officer but he's he's not in the same leadership position it's the same thing i believe that experience is not everything because right. 
there are experienced translators, but they actually they fail in technical parts. They, right, right. they don't know CAD tools. They are not willing to use a project management system. They resist the change. I think you would agree with perhaps you met some of them. In, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, just yeah. just today in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go into details, but, but yes, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And I have to be honest, yeah, and- this kind of, um, uh, this type of uh, translators or uh, professionals who resist technology, they could be very good in what they do or something they do. You know, the vendor manager, the, the very good vendor manager will not say no, and he will be able to place them where mm-hmm. they best fit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is the years of experience. Is mm-hmm. there anything else that... Technical, uh, as I say, technical capacity, how many tools they master, mm-hmm. how they actually solve the problems. The capacity is very important. Mm-hmm. How many words or pages they can produce. This is one of the things because I've been a production guy, so I, I, I understand how it affects me. If I'm going to hire a team of 10 translators or 15 translators, all of them, they agree that they will translate 2,000 words. So I'm in heaven. All right, let's do it. But you can find someone, he has a day job, he has some other availability and capacity is very important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. What about the infamous translation test? Do you think it should be part of every recruitment or? It is a necessity, I believe, mm-hmm. but it's not everything. No, because I have seen translators, they would do very good in the translation test, they deliver very good quality, but in reality, as if you are hired someone else, and sometimes it happened. You, you, the, the person who did the test, perhaps maybe cheating or whatever, or maybe had this mood. And I think, I think quality control is something else that we can maybe speak about, <laughs> like separately, because it's going to be very complex and diverse. But one of the things that, yeah, a translation test at the very beginning in the recruitment process is very important. And I prefer a translation test that is actually project-based because it proves a lot that this person is, very, is going to be very good. And I remember the test that we received back in the day from Google, for example. It was not particularly a translation test. They tested some other, uh, like Bob knowledge, like this translator, how he understand the pop culture. There was this kind of test about pop culture, test about English language, testing the English language. I remember, I think in some cases, some some clients, they tested their knowledge of uh, maybe cat tools. They had this mm-hmm. test about, do you know what is a TM? How would you manage um, some uh, tags in a file? Mm-hmm. I think this kind of tests, are very important. And if we are going to act like humans, I would like to perhaps add some psychology tests if need be. You know, mm-hmm. if we need to add some psychology tests, okay, I, I, I would prefer this because we are going to be humans. And we're mm-hmm. going to, yeah, I hate this idea that we are machines and, uh, you know, like I'm dealing with an email. <laughs> because I've seen this 
and this maybe this this will lead us to this idea of uh, you know expanding this um, translation management system that deals with you as uh, just an email you just right. another email and another number and i'm going to send the mass email to some companies big companies are doing this and you know it's not my turn. i know it is a strategy and it's successful and it works but no, we are not likers on, 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 on like Facebook. We just like the translators are not like likers. You know, mm-hmm. these are humans. Uh, I still need this human thing, this human connection. So how, how do you think if I'm an LSP or a project manager, how can I keep the human touch with the translators while still trying to be efficient with my job? If my job or my system actually forces me to be like, you know, to use this kind of translation management system that deals with people as digital things and uh, like just emails, it's a fact. We cannot actually deny it because it is there and it, it is efficient and it is very good. But I think an LSP can do a lot of effort when it comes to be human. And I, um, you know... Maybe we can have some kind of like a quarter meeting with our translators. And honestly, when I was working in vendor management, I really liked this idea to meet with the translators, the freelancers. And I took every chance to like perhaps send them a mass mail at the end of the month. Like, thank you very much for helping me in my projects and stuff. I hope that anyone to meet you one day. And I always like to keep this human part with uh, the translators and believe me i still have connections with translators and freelancers i worked with like 15 years ago mm-hmm. and whenever i travel wherever i go these are the people i'm going to call i go to indonesia and i call my translators for, hey I, I would like to meet you and show you around whenever they come to our country i think this is something that i'm doing individually I would recommend that any company would create some kind of rewarding system or perhaps appreciation system that they communicate with the vendors every once in a while or maybe every quarter. They make, I like some, some of the American uh, LSPs where they make some kind of loyalty programs. They said, uh, you will find it very nice that they send an email to the vendors and they said, we are not going to be you after 60 days. We are going to be you after 30 days because you were helping us a lot in our projects. And this is like part of our loyalty program. It doesn't hurt that you can send a gift to the translators every year if you are able to do this. There are a lot of ideas that uh, to help you get connected with your translators, your freelancers or your, or your vendors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I can think of something else, but the best thing is going out for a cup of coffee. If you, <laughs> if you can. Yeah. That's why I really, I really like the initiative. Look lunch initiative. Perhaps you heard about it. And I joined the look launchers here in Cairo and we met with people. We met with also representatives from different countries and it was very nice this is a very nice to sit down and speak like humans and go out and this this is what really uh helps people to appreciate each other 
I like that idea, and I was wondering if you ever had a chance to implement such a program at any LSP or maybe like yeah. part of it. In uh, in a previous LSP, I created this kind of uh, appreciation program where we voluntarily actually started to communicate with the vendor and send them some kind of a appreciation certificate at the end of the year or perhaps at the end of, of a project. Mm-hmm. And I've been a freelancer and I know how it is to be like alone, working alone, or maybe working remotely with someone and he would send you this gift. I knew from my friends who were actually working with Google and some very big tech companies, they do this all the time. They send you some products in a box and it was very, very, very nice. And whatever I can, because maybe I cannot like increase the rate or, or something like that. <laughs> but I would prefer something that is not uh, a gift of some kind that is not going to cost you very much. Right. Inviting also, because we were actually um, arranging a lot of training courses and development uh, events and stuff like that. Inviting your vendors to join you in something like this is very, very nice. I've been a couple of years ago uh, before the um, coronavirus, I, I, I attended the world. I, I attended this kind of a talk of one of the biggest LSPs in the world, and they were actually presenting with their client, some, kind, uh, some tech company, and they were like friends on the stage, and they were talking about the challenges that... I really thought this is very this is very this some this is very good. If I bring my client or my client brings me to a presentation and we speak together about our success, our challenges, what I try to implement here, inviting my vendors, inviting my friends, anyone who lives in Egypt, for example for uh, an event or uh, uh, something. I think this is, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm a person who likes PR. I like to go out, um, I like to see people. So these ideas come to my mind all the time. And I know some of my colleagues, or some of my friends, some of my previous supervisors, they, uh, they kind of feel like this is a waste of time. I think, they, I think they waste their time thinking that this is a waste of time. going back to the translation test you said that it all starts with the translation test and then you need to sort of monitor the quality of the vendors as as they continue working with you so how how does vendor management go about it do you think it's more responsibility of the project managers and if there are some issues they should escalate to the vendor manager or is it also, you think part of the VM's job to monitor the performance? Well, I think the vendor managers, um, w- one of the main functions of a vendor manager management team is to monitor the performance. Because, mm-hmm. because I can consider that they are the real supervisors of all the vendors. Right. Or perhaps this was the vision that I was raised upon. Mm-hmm, 15 mm-hmm. years ago, I was I had this idea and I really like that the management they give me this kind of privilege that you have to monitor the performance. So we have to think of ways 
to monitor the performance. Mm-hmm. And I think technology comes here is because, because if we are dealing with some kind of ecosystem where project managers will have to give their feedback. I remember we uh, used to prepare some kind of a survey that we send every month to the project managers. How do you think about the vendors in this language? Do you have any complaints? Of course, in many cases, they raise the complaints anyway. And I used to work with WeLocalize and I really, I really liked how they did the vendor management back in the day because they had this kind of a connection between the project manage- management team and the vendor management. And they did this kind of a review. I think it was like every three months they did this kind of review. And they examined everything, uh, scorecards, when it comes to translation quality or the product, product quality, they reviewed everything, they discussed with the vendor, how what's going on, why did we had the score, and they discussed also issues like performance and um, communication and um, um, adherence to uh, instructions. Mm-hmm. Performance should be monitored by the, the vendor management, not only when they have when they receive a complaint. Mm-hmm. And it's about the communication between the vendor management team and the project management, because in some cases I've seen the project management is like they work, they work, they work very hard and they have even no time to complain or no time to report. I've seen this myself. I cannot say it's very professional, but a professional project management team should be able to report. Some uh, of our project managers back in the day, they did not have this idea how to report to the done. No, bring me someone else. I need someone else. Okay, that's all. But I, I think these people did not survive. So monitoring is very important. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, when you see, how would you see people progressing? like when they were actually only soldiers and they became generals because you were actually wa- watching mm-hmm. or watching them seeing how they progress i can tell you that back in the day we did not have any linkedin for example there was not right. no linkedin but you could see that the guy is progressing on bruce that he's quite active that he's taking this kind of feedbacks and He's progressing in in the market and he's progressing in his relation with me. Mm-hmm. I hope I was able to answer this because I'm a strong believer in uh, development. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So do you think that the company should play active role in developing the freelancers? Yeah. Like organizing yeah. some training or yeah, investing? Because, you know, now in the de- nowadays... And you would maybe agree with me that even the companies are trying to attract the best talents to work with them. Right. So it's uh, it can be some kind of a marketing strategy that uh, the company should uh, embrace. Mm-hmm. It's to be able to attract the right talents, the freelancers to 
And how would you attract me as a freelancer? You will give me a chance to develop. First of all, you will give me a lot of jobs. You will give me a lot of work. Okay, I would love that. But mm-hmm. in the same time, you will give me a chance to develop. Okay. Hmm. What about the people that are not meeting the criteria over the time? Do you have to get rid of them or do you just slowly stop giving them work and pretend? Yeah, yeah. I think I think in many cases it happened like that, like naturally. If there is a, a vendor who's actually performing very well, mm-hmm. we'll find them like naturally that everybody wants to work with. Right, right. Yeah. And there are vendors, they were maybe doing it on purpose or maybe they did not mean it, but they were actually pushing their clients to know yeah, this person's quality, this vendor's quality is very good. He's very good translators, but truly I cannot bear to see his name in my inbox. And I've seen this. Really, I've seen this. Uh-huh. Some vendors, specifically freelancers, or maybe someone in a, an agency, and I remember back in the days that some clients, they used to send emails, we don't want to work with this person. Find us another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happened actually naturally that the vendor who's providing service is not only about how good he is in translation, but, and it's not only about his rate as well, his price. I don't believe in this, but I mm-hmm. believe in how he communicates, how he solves the problem, how he's proactive. I find uh, young, maybe fresh grad with translators or vendors who are very impressive in making you as a client remember them. And I've seen this and I can name a few names if needed that I trust these people with my life. So I seem to think yeah, that it's a natural thing that you can mention also that you, the scorecards and the, the stars and everything, the evaluation you will get on a system, it's all about how you perform. Mm-hmm. And on, on another side, I think that, you know, you've been a project manager. Maybe you were able to manage a vendor much better than another colleague, much better than another project manager. And I've seen this myself. When I was a project manager, some of the vendors, all right, we are going to work with Ahmed, but we don't work in the same LSP. He doesn't want want to work with X or Z because how he's being treated. And, you know, I've seen a lot of humiliation even in this kind of uh, remote uh, job. Yeah, some clients, they push you to the limit. Some project managers, they push you to the limit that you will hate them and you will hate the job and you will not give them the performance they... I hate to say that this is, this is kind of a personal thing. It's not really professional, but we are humans after all. Right. So, so what are the, the, the few special ones who won your heart as a client? What, what did they do extra? They showed up all the time. Mm-hmm. They showed up all the time. That's why 
I really don't feel bad that I receive an email or a message from a vendor. I remember one of the one of my supervisors in the past. He said, "You have to understand that he, the vendor, maybe is he doesn't have a job. That's why that's why he is chatting with you on a message and sending you a message and saying, hey, you have a nice, a very nice uh, picture.'" Or um, how are you today and stuff like this? And I seem to think, no, I, I like this kind of. He reminds me all the time that he's available or he's here. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to work, he's quick to react. He is quick to respond. He is in. He takes initiative. And I, I was working with a, a couple of years ago with a young uh, translator from Tunisia, and she was like that, like this. It's uh, she tries to solve the problem. Even she doesn't have this very long experience, but she's trying to solve a problem, and mm-hmm. she's trying to give you an idea. And in my uh, perspective, as being a client, this is what I want. I want this person. This vendor that acts like a real partner, like a part of the family. <laughs> That's why I like to do this with my client all the, most of the time. I like to check on them, send messages. How is everything? I like this when when we first uh, communicated with each other because the very first time we communicated with each other, I like your strategy because you send a small message hi how are you doing uh, it's me I, I'm, I'm interested to understand why you got connected to me <laughs> yeah this is this is very good this is very good it keeps you remembering <laughs> all right um, so before we go to the final let's say more general set of questions is there anything that you thing we should cover about vendor management like something that you really want to highlight i think we the the, the previous questions were uh, very good and mm-hmm. i think it's it's more like an advice to vendors mm-hmm. um, is to try to explore more about the world understand the industry mm-hmm. uh, understand that localization is different and this is what i strive to try to teach people because we, we we do not study this in the in college and mm-hmm. i would advise to invest as much as you can in technical side to understand more tools more know-how and to look at the bigger picture not only that you are a just a vendor in a corner but you have to look at yourself in a different manner and try to be flexible this is what i want to speak to the companies and to the lsps in that oh we are not going to work with agencies we are not going we are, we will only to work with freelancers and stuff like this i prefer that we would be more flexible about uh how we do the, the job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right ahmed What are you curious about right now? Mm. Not related to localization. Or if you're super curious about localization, sure. But... Yeah, I 
I'm not a tech person, but I started to be interested in uh, data, in mm-hmm. um, linguistic data, mm-hmm. uh, lexicography, and um, electronic dictionaries in um, corpus, AI, the revolution of AI and machine translation. Uh, I wish I was a tech person. Maybe I could understand things more because I feel that we live in this age, you know, similar to, um, you know, I'm fascinated about the time travel idea. So I seem to think that we live in this age in the localization industry, like in the same time when cars were invented. So people started to lose interest in riding horses and started to be interested in cars. Mm-hmm. So there was this kind of resistance between the past and the future. And my idea, maybe it's kind of weird, or maybe it's kind of um, philosophy a bit. It's a bit of philosophy <laughs> that in these days, horses are very expensive. It is not for everybody, but they still exist. <laughs> so I have this kind of point of view about the technology and yes, we are done one way or another. Although I hate this idea about being just another email in a system, but this is life. We have to Mm -hmm. go on with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm quite curious about data, creating data, especially that maybe this kind of market is in in Egypt or maybe in, um, in the Middle East, creating big uh, Arabic uh, corpus or um, uh, data for AI or machine translation is something that is being developed. And I'm quite interested. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in the future we will have something innovative. We speak about it all the time when we sit down. How can we maybe create some kind of uh, machine translation engine for Arabic language, for Arabic dialects, something like this. I have this kind of dream about or maybe like an interest in, in in this when it comes to the industry i have other interests of course but <laughs> would it be an open source project like available to everyone in the community or would it be commercial thing we must make money one way or another we must we must right. we should because because investing time and in, in creating something like this i think Maybe it could start at the beginning, like something like open source or maybe free for some people. But mm-hmm. I think it's going to develop to be a paid service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about you? <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of things. <laughs> So give me one example. I've been having a, a lot of fights and a lot of uh, conflicts in the past few years, maybe because I grow, I grew old. I, I'm not sure, but I, I've been having a lot of conflicts. Like what kind of conflicts with, with whom? Like colleagues? I think mostly business conflicts. Oh, yeah. Really? I read The Art of War and I read right. The Prince by um, Machiavelli. And I read 48 Laws of Power. And maybe this kind of books, they fascinate me. 
and I speak all the time about uh, generals and fights and stuff like that. And I like Napoleon Bonaparte. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is a, you know, I, I measured in history also with with language. I uh, I had this, uh, my studies in history. That's why mm-hmm. maybe I, I'm fascinated with this kind of. Uh, so it affects you one way or another, uh, and maybe because I uh, also like um, heavy metal music. Maybe uh, it affects. I think it's a fixed. I, I like uh, Assassin's Creed, but, but right. yeah, some people um, they would maybe misunderstand my uh, per- perception about business because I like to do things the right way. So mm-hmm. I had some kind of misunderstanding about how I do things in the past few years, but I still value my experience in vendor management because it was not really affected by. <laughs> All the books. It was not really affected. <laughs> I still value because I think I think my experience in vendor management is the means is the only reason that I was able to succeed in other things. Right. If you remember, I said some of my vendors in the past they actually became my clients in the future, mm-hmm. and some of them they became friends, very good. Some of them actually they became family. And, um, uh, and and this is my understanding of things. And I'm, I still believe that even though in some situations I was quite ruthless and I showed no mercy mm-hmm. and I spilled some, not blood, I spilled some juice, but... <laughs> but... I, <laughs> I don't need. I'm not sure if you are going to cut uh, this. No, this no. blood and, this and all. <laughs> <laughs> but I really admire that your um, your show or and, and and your programs are quite free, and yes. because because many, mainly mainly I I really liked almost a lot of the discussions that you introduced on the channel, and I I really wish that it has uh, more uh, views and more uh, reach. Mm-hmm. Maybe because localization is still something that is for a niche network, right. maybe, but right. I hope so that, but with the way I see, for example, I, I, I watch Nimzi uh, episodes and I follow them on, I really like how they speak freely about many things and they, I think they are popular one way or another because the guys working on the company are very, very open for life and very, very, very uh, nice. Mm-hmm. So going back to the question, <laughs> where, where does the misunderstanding come from? So we understood that you have a lot of influences from books and music and games and you had business conflicts, but I still don't understand what exactly it is. So is, is, the, is the misunderstanding that maybe you appear to be ruthless while inside you're like a little baby and <laughs> very sensitive or yeah not really a baby but some in some in some uh i think i think this is something that uh maybe because i like to uh, tell stories sometimes people misunderstand right and i seem to think this this uh has a lot to do with anyone who's started to work in marketing and pr so people mm-hmm. will always mm-hmm. misunderstand how he expresses things and stuff like that. Right. But I had uh, a lot of um, situations where uh, people thought that I am 
quite ruthless and uh, I I don't think uh, in an emotional I, 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 I prefer to try mm. to as much as I can to separate between uh, human feelings and uh, professional right. yeah but I maybe I mentioned to that uh, my uh, MTPE or not the MTPE the Mayor's Briggs test Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what I, I say yes. MTP because we are in the localization yes, yes. thing. But my 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 analysis is more about the ENTJ thing. So that's why uh, sometimes, yeah, I feel myself. Oh, I think I should have been easier in this situation. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I have a hard time with uh, feelings. Yeah. Somehow, I have a hard time with feelings or people who are actually all the time are feelers. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. People with the F, with this F. <laughs> I, have, I have this kind of, but I really love them. So you, you, you prefer people who use logic a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. I prefer people who use the logic. Yeah, yeah. I, I have the same. <laughs> but one way or another, we... Uh, no, we, we have to balance sometime. Yeah, right. management is right. all about trying to balance. Mm-hmm. What do you think is wrong with our industry? <laughs> this is a very difficult question because I, I I cannot see myself as the this kind of a philosopher to say what is wrong mm-hmm. because I'm I, I I think I'm still learning a lot of things. Right, but. If you would ask me personally, I do not really like this idea of being just another email on a system and this kind of idea that the system will count everything that I do, or maybe I put some kind of a ship in my brain. And I'm, uh, no, I, I don't like this idea. And uh, although I understand its effect and it, it is something very nice one of the companies i used to work with and uh, i used to be my client back in the day and i realized they also changed their whole vendor management stra- strategy and they said they have everything on some kind of a portal where you go look if you find something that fits you okay apply so okay, but what is the old-fashioned way of recruitment guys <laughs> I'm going to be like a, but but I seem to think that this kind of method enforces a lot of a competition. Maybe forces a lot the competition to be stronger than before, mm-hmm. and I think it's it's a fact, and we cannot. But I don't think I have this kind. I, I, it's not me who can judge the industry. The industry is current. It's, it's, it's quite big. There are millions of things that I don't know. As I told you, I'm not a tech guy, but I understand that the industry is controlled or maybe directed by technology and tech mm-hmm. guys are, and, uh, are taking over. Uh, it's a fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I, I can say I like it or I don't like it, but let's see. Mm-hmm. Do you have any absurd or stupid things that you do? Stupid things? A lot of stupid things. I do a lot of stupid things. Yeah, no problem. 
So which one do you think would be considered by, let's say, majority of the people as the as a stupid thing? Yeah, like for yeah, you, it's yeah. very normal. On a professional manner or maybe in life? Whatever. Uh, sometimes I blame myself that I spent like 100 hours playing Assassin's Creed. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I blame myself not spending a lot of time with my son. I think this right. is something that I can say that this is stupid. I should have been, I should have given him more time. We should talk more. Stuff right. like yeah. Can't you just play the game with him or is he not all He loves it. He, he loves, loves it. Oh. I, I don't have a multiplayer uh, uh, option. Oh, but it's right, a very right, good right. idea. Maybe I can try. Yeah. And he's, um, you know, he's kind of a, I think he's also like a general in himself. It's like a Napoleon, a little Napoleon Bonaparte. He, he wants to play alone. Okay. He wants to control. So he's like a control freak. So sometimes it's not easy. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's not easy, but it's okay. Right, Ahmed. Well, thank you very much for the interview, for your time. I am very, very happy. And uh, I think I... I I find myself speaking freely and I uh, hope yes. you also enjoyed it. <laughs> I think you should give me this opportunity as well that uh, maybe we can interview you very soon because you not you don't get to ask all the questions you should be asked as well. <laughs> so yeah. I I'm not sure if you have this time but I wanted to ask you about your opinion about vendor management you maybe of course you had experience and you dealt with hundreds and hundreds of vendors this question i had in mind and if you would mm-hmm. like to perhaps give uh, give it in this uh, closing moments it's okay i think that a lot of friends will appreciate this <laughs> i don't think i have well far away from your experience because i was mostly dealing with vendors from the from the production side mm-hmm. and, and i get your opinion that maybe it's turning into i don't know you're just being an, a re- resource id mm-hmm. i'm also I'm, I'm also very much a tech guy i would say and i've been always ever since i started working i was looking for ways to work more efficiently so to me yeah. actually building the systems that make the work of pms more efficient or maybe even eliminate a lot of the work that they have to do you know like manualizing the emails i'm all up for that that was actually what I was doing in my last work. Like we were doing a production system, sort of like a TMS, but that could also handle other things than translation. And we were creating this product. So I guess a lot of the translators probably didn't like me because they were just, you know, first come, first served basis system. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you're the first one to claim the job, then it's you. But there are also ways how you can customize the system so it still sort of values the people who, let's say, have been working on a certain account for quite some time. It's not like like you just, you know, like mass send email to to everyone for any type of job, you know. So you can mm-hmm. still have your preferred vendors and maybe they have the priority when it comes to claiming the jobs or there's a certain way. And also when you were talking about the loyalty thing. That's also something that we were discussing with the vendor manager. And also when we were introducing the system, we had like a a meeting and we presented the system to them. So it wasn't just like purely through videos, but we also wanted to gather their feedback. So I think there were sort of like bits and pieces of what you were suggesting. And, And I agree because also I can turn that 
not only from, let's say, LSP to vendor, but LSP to the client. Because that's what I realized recently is that some of the LSPs, they're creating their systems when where the clients, they just go to the system and they submit the files. But to yeah. me, this is, this is a big problem because, I mean, you should st- still do it if it makes the workflow more efficient, but you mm-hmm. shouldn't forget about building relationship with your client. Yeah. Because then someone else can come with a better system with lower prices. And if Correct. you don't have that, and if you don't have that relationship, you're just a commodity at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree with this. Anyway, <laughs> what I wanted to say is again, thank you. But one more question. So, final words from sure. you, Ahmed. If you could speak to the minds of everyone in the industry, what, what would you tell them? I wish that conferences and traveling will will be established again once again and so people can get to meet each other face to face i understand that online is okay and it's going to be like a trend but i wish that people can get to meet each other and i also wish that international organizations and um, people like multilingual magazine localization institute nemzi they would come to our countries to the middle east so they meet with each other to so teach us and learn from us and meet with the people from uh, i was very happy that uh some of the language industry tech companies started to come to egypt for example xtrf this did that smartcat i wish that we can have this kind of communication more often so we exchange experience we like an opportunity like we have right now if you remember maybe i told you that um, I, i don't think you had any communication with someone from egypt because our friends and our community they have been doing a lot of work a lot of effort for, for like 30 years in the localization they have been localizing a lot of arabic content and they have been producing and a lot of uh, products and they maybe deserve to be heard for the better and i think for the future this is something that i uh, wish that will happen very soon that we get to communicate more than before <laughs> thank you well you will you are my first and hopefully not the last egyptian guest <laughs> Thank you so much. I think I think there will be an opportunity when you can speak with other uh, friends or uh, perhaps doing marketing, doing project management and uh, localization engineering and I have to say that uh, localization engineers in the region in Egypt or uh, the Middle East are actually very few. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can name them actually I think they are about like 10 or 15 persons in the whole region. and the, the this function is very important mm-hmm. i wish we can generate more soldiers when it comes to localization engineering yeah right, really right, right. 
Okay, I have an idea how to name this uh, episode. It's like growing your army or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you should invite them uh, to uh, a lot of courses in education. Right, right. All right, Ahmed, thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.